Luke chapter 19, the title of the sermon is Climb to See, Come Down to Serve. Climb to See, Come Down to Serve. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 of Jesus, it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. Verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. He hurried and came down and received him gladly. Verse 7, and when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? Zacchaeus stopped and, and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, verse 10, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, help us as we study your word. Four things in this passage we're going to talk about. One, Jesus is passing through. Two, Zacchaeus climbs to view. Three, Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' place. Four, Zacchaeus does an about face. Forgive me for the ride. Jesus is at the end of his ministry on earth. He's coming to Jericho, and this is the last time he will ever go through Jericho because when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to die for our sins. He's got a plan. He's on a mission. He's not going to be deterred from it. He's got goals that must be reached. And yet, as he's going through, through Jericho, he sees a man, one of the most hated men in the city, he sees somebody up in a tree, and he stops his passing through to be at a man's house. God has a lot of very important stuff to do on the planet, but if you put yourself in a position to not only see but be seen, he'll stop what he's got to do to figure out how to minister to you. Now... The good thing about our God is that it feels like he's stopping whatever he's got to do to minister to you. But this is the beauty about our God is that whatever he is doing, he can add infinite amount of deeds to it and never be distracted one against the other. That's what makes him God. He can listen to seven and a half billion people talk to him at one time and never be distracted from one request over and against another. You, me, never. I have seven kids. When they were little, I'd tell them we're going out to dinner. They'd all have a place where they wanted to go. And they'd all begin to talk to me at the same time. McDonald's, Burger King, Dairy Queen. Stop. 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 One at a time. I can't. Human beings can only listen to one person at a time. That distinguishes us among many things from God. He's amazing. He doesn't have to stop one thing to hit your life. To pay attention to you. He can continue on with the mission and still give you so much attention that it feels like you're the only thing he's thinking about that day. 
He's amazing. Zacchaeus, I see you. But in order to be seen by God, and in order to see him, you have to put yourself in a position to be seen and to see. You've got to elevate your spot wherever you are in order to get to a different, different place. Zacchaeus was short. He couldn't see because he was so short and he'd have to push the people aside in order to find out. And he was excited about this Jesus. I mean, even though he was on the opposite side of obedience with respect to to the nation of Israel, this Jesus garnered a lot of attention. Everybody was trying to follow him. Folks are trying to get on the bandwagon because they realize this is the moment. He's going to Jerusalem. He's probably going to deal with Herod. Pontius Pilate, the puppet leader of of Jerusalem from Rome, he's going to deal with everybody. This is going to be amazing, and I want to be a part. The disciples were thinking, I'm going to be in the cabinet. Uh, You know, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Commerce, I'm I'm going to have a spot, baby. And then everybody else was thinking, I just want a job. Bureaucrat, pushing papers, administrative assistant, secretary. Everybody was hoping, remember me. And folks were crying out from the crowd, I'll follow you wherever you go. Zacchaeus couldn't get a sight of who he was. And may I say that he's not unlike all of us. We're all too short. We can't see Jesus like we need to unless we elevate. Now, I understand what short means because I am. I'm five, eight and three quarters. That's not tall. And I've had many conversations with God about this. I mean, I see people, you know, I hang around some athletes, and many of them are very big. They're like 6'6", six, 6'5". Six, six, I thought, Lord, you could have decreased them too and given me theirs. And it wouldn't have mattered at all. They'd still be here making millions. They'd be fine. I'm just thinking, why you make me so short? I'm not even as tall as my daddy. My daddy was 5'11 and a half. I think, why didn't you know? You could have just, you know, those jeans, they're mine. I could have just, you know. And so I prize my five, eight, and three quarters. And I say three quarters because you, you, you got to love, you got to love every, every quarter of an inch when you my, my size. Every quarter, it matters, it matters. Well, at 50, I went to get a checkup, just a regular checkup from the doctor. You know, they do all the vitals and they, they get your weight. And then when you get on the scale, they have a thing to measure. And they put the thing into, okay, five, eight. I said, no, that's wrong. That ain't right. That's, I'm five, eight, and three quarters. Measure again. I wanted to put my shoes on. I don't want to do anything. 5'8". I said, oh, now, Lord, I started with nothing, and now you're going to give me less. Gravity was winning. Literally, the, the discs in my vertebrae were compressing. So I was getting shorter. I thought, so I went out. My wife got me for Father's Day about a decade ago a, uh, an inversion table. You know what that is? It's a thing where you, you, you start like this and you wind up like that, and you're upside down. And I thought, eh, that ain't going to do nothing. I started getting on it. I got my three-quarters inch back. <laughs> literally, it stretches you, gets you, gets you back where you ought to be. And, and I literally got my three-quarters inch back. I was so happy. But I was hoping that it might give me more. <laughs> you know, if I stay out here longer, will I really grow? No, it didn't happen like that. My point is, I understand that, kids. But all of us are too short to see God from our vantage point. 
We need help. We need to get to another level in order to see him for who he is. And the beauty is this. You got up this morning and came to church this afternoon. Meaning that you elevated your position from one of horizontal <laughs> and decided to, 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 to go through the inconvenience of rising to come to church. Why? Because you realize this. I can't see God near as well at home as I can here. When I get into worship with these people, all of a sudden, oh my goodness, something happens in the corporate environment. When I hear that little guy talk up there about God, all of a sudden, he begins to elevate my position, and I walk out of here just a little bit taller than when I came in. You got to get up in order to see, in order to be seen. And let me tell you, God sees. He sees. Zacchaeus was watching, and he was the most hated man in the city, y'all. He was a tax collector. Now, Tax collectors had their own category of sinfulness. In the Bible, it talks about <clears throat> people who aren't right, sinners. Jesus, in speaking about John the Baptist and himself, said this. John came, came not eating and not drinking. And you said he had a demon. You didn't like John the Baptist at all. Yet he was trying to be as holy as he could, and you said he had a demon. I come eating and drinking, and you say I'm a drunkard and a glutton, and that I hang out with sinners and tax gatherers. Sinners and tax gatherers. Hmm. Jesus said, if you find a man in Matthew chapter 18, that passage I just mentioned is in Luke chapter 7. If you find a man, Matthew chapter 18, if you find a man who's in sin, take, take, go, go, go to him yourself and try to get him to repent. If he doesn't listen to you, take somebody else with you. If he doesn't listen to both of you, tell it to people in the church who know him real well so that he can repent of his sin and come back. If he doesn't listen to any of that, treat him as a sinner and tax gatherer. There were sinners, just like there are today. And, and, and the category they were in allowed them to be defined as those who were liars, adulterers. Murderers, thieves, ladies who worked at night, men who took advantage of that. All those were categorized as sinners. And then there were tax gatherers. If you were a murderer, you were better than a tax gatherer. Tax gatherers and sinners. They had their own category for sinful behavior. They were so hated. Why? Because they took from Israel. And gave to Rome. And on top of that, they never did it well. Rome say, I don't know what the, what the tax rate was. But let's say it's 35%, which would, would have been low. Would have been low. It could have been as high as 60. A tax collector would take something on top of that and say, we're going to make it 70. And you had no appeal. You couldn't go to Rome and say, hey, he's cheating me. He's taking more than he should. Rome would just deal with you. So the tax gatherer was pretty much immune to any prosecution. And he took what he wanted. He already was despised because he was a Jew, taking money from the Jews and giving to Rome and making a living on it. But he would take more than he should. And everybody hated him. 
Therefore, they said, you can be a certain kind of sinner, but if you're a tax gatherer, you are really bad. And it says that Zacchaeus was the chief tax gatherer. He was in charge of the whole city. He was in charge of all the crooks. And it says he was rich. Now, everybody knew a tax man was rich. The collector had resources. But here, it amplifies it by saying, and he was rich. So I, I don't want to ascribe any aspersions to people who have resources today. But just in terms of value, not how they got it, but value, he was probably the Warren Buffett of Jericho. This man had buku money. Money upon money. He may have had more money than the bank had money. Everybody hated him. And Jesus sees him up there. And the first thing he says is he says his name. Zacchaeus. How do you know his name? That wasn't Jesus' home. Jericho was not Jesus' home. How do you know his name? Hmm. How does he know your name? When you get in a place of elevation whereby you can see him better and he sees you, when he calls your name, it is a privilege. And Zacchaeus was so awed by the fact that he knew his name. This was the Messiah, the one who they thought was going to go and set up a kingdom there and kick everybody else. Jesus was coming to set up a kingdom, not like they thought, but it was a kingdom. He was so wowed by the fact that Jesus even knew his name. And then secondly said, I'm going to stay at your place. The disparity between who Jesus was and who Zacchaeus was was great. So great was it that Zacchaeus begins to automatically say what he's going to do before Jesus ever says a word about repentance. When God calls our name, sometimes we are so familiar with the religion of Christianity and what ought to be done normally in church, we forget how special it is that he knows us. We forget that he's not calling us according to our sins. Jesus could have said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming for you. I see what you've done to this city of Jericho. How you've deprived the people. I'm coming for you and I'm bringing all my power and judgment on your life. He would have been right to do so. Instead, he calls his name and says, I'm staying at your house. The reason God calls your name is not to judge you. It's to live in your house. He wants to live with you. And by the way, you are the best definition of a fixer-upper. <laughs> you ain't no mansion. You, you, are, you are no place where anybody would want to vacation. Neither am I. We're wrecks. We're houses that have signs on them that say condemned. That is the version of living in which you have been. I have been. And God says, I want to live with you. I want to fix you up. I want to make it a, livable, a habitable spot, not only for me, but for you. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And because we have grown up in the, in the environment of religion, just some of us, and because we feel more entitled than we should, 
You think God really ought to do something for us? We think we are, we're, we're a place that's livable. I ain't killed nobody. I don't try to hurt people. I'm a good person. Surely if there's anybody on the planet God would want to live with, it would be me. That's who I am. I'm a nice person. We think we are better than we are. But we are as sinful as it gets because God does not regard one sin above another. The impact that it has on humanity, yes, that has degrees of judgment. But before him, sin is sin. We're breaking his law. We are offending him. All of it is horrible. Adam and Eve did not knock off a 7-Eleven. Yet all they did was eat, and he said, you're going to die. You eat that tree, you will die. We deserve judgment. We don't deserve anything other. You deserve nothing other. I deserve nothing other. That he does not judge us is one of the greatest gifts we will ever get. Somehow or another, Zacchaeus got this without anybody preaching to him about it. He realized there is such a difference between him and me. I'm the last person in all of Jericho he should choose to stay at. My house is not set up for him. I got stuff in my house I stole. I've defrauded a lot of people. I built my life on the back of the poor. I've done everything wrong. And he wants to stay at my house. He had a revelation of his own sin. Do you? Do you realize how messed up you are? Do you know how bad you are? I'm not trying to preach you under. I'm trying to preach you to a level at which you can receive from above. And respond like Zacchaeus did. Wow, Jesus said this. He saw him. He said, come down. I'm going to stay at your house. When you elevate yourself to a spot whereby you can see, and then he sees you, the next step is to come down. After you come up, then you got to come down. Meaning, you all are in an elevated spot listening to what the word of the Lord is for you today. But when you go out there, it's time now to serve. It's time now to help other people understand what it means to come into an environment and hear what the purpose might be for God in their life. Come down. We have to live low when we get out of here. We can't live high. We can't begin to think that we are more than we, sh we, we are because we're not. We have to live in such a way as to say, I am an undeserving recipient of his grace. And the only reason I can do good is because he enables me to do so. I do not do good because I am. I do good because he is. Yes. We come low. We get low. Come down. Because when you come down, I can come to be with you. I can live through you. I can help you. I can be in your house. I can clean it up. I can do Come down. Zacchaeus came down. And when he came down because of the magnitude of the moment, this is what he says. And, and I used the term auto, automatic in his response. It probably should be autonomic. There's a difference. Automatic 
are things that you do as a result of a habitual response to something else. Meaning, my hands are moving while I speak because I've done this all my life and I realize when I speak, this helps. <laughs> and so it's automatic for me to do this, but it's not autonomic. Autonomic is what your heart does. You don't have to tell it to beat. It just does it. Aren't you happy about that? <laughs> autonomic is what your body does in breathing. You don't have to say, breathe now. You don't have to do that. That's autonomic. It comes from your parasympathetic nervous system that allows things to happen in your body all by themselves. Just natural. You don't have to think about it. This wasn't automatic for him because he had not been trained. He had no automatic response. There was nothing about his life that had ever responded to God. This was autonomic. Something had changed in his heart just by Jesus saying, I know who you are, and I'm staying at your house. <laughs> okay, I want you I want you to know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. And if, if, I, if, I've, if I've taken anything from anybody, I'm paying back fourfold. Now, what's if mean? It's not like anybody said, by the way, I know what you've done. He brought it up, which meant he knew what he did. It's, it's like the guy who just struck you in the face and gave you a black eye and says, if I hurt you, I'm sorry. What do you mean if? Look at my eye. Yes, you did it. But there was such an autonomic response to say, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. I'm going to change. His encounter in Christ made him different immediately. And there ought to be something in your encounter in Christ that doesn't take six months to figure out how to repent. Ah, let me see what I got to give up. Lord, like, can we bargain on some stuff? Like, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. I'll come to that strange church, Grace Covenant. Like, you give me a new job. You fix my marriage. You help my kids. I'll pray. I might even go to women, women's Bible study. Lord, if, you know, if, if we can work something... You start bargaining with God. By the way, when you bargain with somebody, don't you have to have something that they want? I mean, for it to work. Don't you have, what do you have that God wants? Like he's got everything. There's nothing he doesn't have. What, why are you trying to bargain with him? <laughs> Lord, if you do this, I'll go to church. He's supposed to. What, 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 what are you talking about? I, I, that, 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 that's not impressive to me. Not impressive at all. I'll, I'll, I'll be faithful to my wife. You're supposed to. <laughs> what are you talking about? You got nothing he wants. You got nothing he wants. You are poor, miserable, blind and naked. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. That's in the book of Revelation. <laughs> God's talking to a church there, chapter 3. You, are, you, think, you think you see, you think you're rich, you think you're clothed and fine stuff, but you are poor, miserable, blind, and naked. Zacchaeus knew what he was not. And as a result, his life changed in a day. The more we know what we're not, the closer we get to understanding what it looks like to really repent.
When God calls your name, when you encounter him, how do you respond? Is it so familiar that you begin to ask him for stuff when he calls your name? Your version of prayer is always to request from him rather than to present yourself to him? What does it look like when he calls your name? It's really important that we respond like Zacchaeus did and say, I'm willing to repent and fix everything I've done wrong. Repentance is not just responding to God well. Sometimes it's responding to people well. Now, everybody has in their mind somebody who's done them wrong, and they want them to repent so that they can fix whatever they did to them. But remember, you are that person to somebody. Somebody thinks you need to repent to them. You did them wrong. They, you may not think so, but they're over there in pain. Repentance is not just about saying, God, I choose to not go this way. The word is metanoia in, scri- in Scripture, which means to change, to turn, 180. I choose not to go this way anymore. I choose to go this way now. I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. But it means in the following that we choose to get it right with everybody we know with whom we've done wrong or to whom we've done wrong. This man said, I'm going to give half. Now, you know he's rich. When he says, I can give half of my resources to the poor and pay back fourfold everybody whom I've taken stuff from. Now, please understand, he was trying to get right, not poor. (laughs) Which means he was able to do all that and still have some. And he was the chief tax collector of Jericho, which meant he had taken something he shouldn't have from everybody. Boy, you talk about tax refund day. (laughs) Woo! This was going to be the biggest refund in the history of Jericho for everybody. Folks getting $100,000 checks. Woo! (laughs) He had a lot. And the beauty is that the people who who really did not want Jesus to go to his house because he is such a terrible sinner. He's the worst kind of sinner there can be. He's so bad. You can't be right if you go fellowship with him. Afterwards, they were saying, when the economic revival happened in Jericho, (laughs) an economic revival happened in one day in Jericho. Afterwards, they were saying, you know, I got a tax collector in Bethlehem. Can you follow me over there so we can do the same thing to him? (laughs) Jesus wants to make your life better. He's here, he said, to seek and save that which was lost. And sometimes we don't know how lost we are until he shows us what found looks like. This is what found looks like. A man who just responds and says, no conditions, I'm yours. I'm going to do your will. No conditions. I'm changing. And I'm changing for your glory and everybody's betterment. I'm changing. That's what it means to encounter Christ, to not stay the same.